I say what I want to say, and I really don't have any fear. The only fear, I only fear God. And I just feel like, when are we going to stand up and say enough is enough? We're human just like you are. And I love people. I am not, I'm prejudiced, but I'm not racist. Because a racist is you hate a person because of the color of their skin. I'm prejudiced against hate. I'm prejudiced against you beating up on my brother, beating up on my sister, killing my people. I'm prejudiced against that. But I'm not racist. I, I, it's not that I hate white people or I hate spe- I love everybody, but I do not want you to beat on us. I, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. So I'm going to stand with my own. my own. When I think of home, I think of a place where I... Okay, no, I'm not a singer. But, ooh, don't I wish I could sing. God knew not to give me no singing abilities. Today on Naked, we have Stephanie Mills. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's 
sports and entertainment connected with us. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. Got a champion and carry champion. That girl, you did it. Got a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment connected with Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Naked. Uh, I'm going to begin this edition of Naked talking about what happened uh, in Alabama. And there is a reason. By now, we have all, and I know when I say by now, we have all culturally have seen what went down in Alabama. And I'm talking about the riverboat. I'm talking about the brawl, as they'd like to call it. I am talking about a security guard trying to do his job and tell these folks, and by these folks, I mean a group of white people, that they cannot park their boat at this dock. They cannot dock their boat at this particular spot because they're trying to bring in the cruise ship that took people on a tour, right? And it's not a cruise ship. It's like a river boat. They were doing a little sail, a little turnabout in the river. Obviously, we know what happened. The white people because I'm going to make it really plain, started to attack a black man who was doing his job. And yes, drinks clearly were involved. It seemed as if this group of boaters, people out on a weekend excursion enjoying themselves, had too much to drink. But that is still no excuse. This man was doing his job. He said, hey, you guys are not allowed to dock your boat here. We have this river boat getting ready to come in and you're in the wrong location. And they started to push and shove you guys know what happened. And leave it to the internet. The black folks of the internet and probably others participated. But not only did they make fun of this moment, they made something that could have been really, really divisive, funny and hilarious. Uh, a group of white people attacking a black man is not something that we want to see. That situation could have turned into a deadly situation in a matter of moments. Until we saw a group of other blacks, blacks who worked uh, there also on the dock, um, on the cruise ship, on the tour ship, if you will. I'm trying to find the words. Come in and help this guy. And then some bystanders who were black as well, who were like, no, I'm sorry. This is not about to go down. You're not about to beat up this black man, this security guard who's doing his job. I'm leaving out names because I don't want to get too in the weeds. But at the end of the day, what we saw was this black man, the security guard, take his hat off, flip it in the air. And that was a signal like save this ship because it's about to be on. Y'all need to come help me. They, they trying to jump me. They, they, they at me. They at me. And they were really at him. Black man sitting there trying to stave off a group of white men and women. And the optics are not are not good. However, when peers came to the rescue, other black men came to the rescue, leave it to the Internet to tell you what it really means. Um, there were jokes about the guy who jumped in the water and swam across to save the black man or to help the black man fight. There were jokes about how black men were skipping to the fight, which meant, OK, it's about to be on. You know what a skip is, right? Um, and there were just so many jokes that were flying around and it was really funny. I don't care if you don't think it was funny. It was funny. The, the optics in terms of what happened, not funny, but how we turned trauma into something hilarious is what we do as a culture. No one, I, I can't think of a group of people that turn trauma into comedy the way in which black folks do it. And we laughed because otherwise we'd be angry and we'd be crying and we'd be sad. It would be our existence if we continued to talk about what was wrong and how we feel wronged and how we're tired of the injustice and how bad people treat us. We turned it into something extremely funny. And to top it all off, those white folks got they they, they butts tapped. You know what I mean? And they started it. It was self-defense. You can't run around just punching and beating up on people, specifically black folks, and think there will be no repercussions. Uh, and the way in which the culture, the community, the mayor <laughs> of Montgomery, Alabama handled this situation was a perfect example of, nah, we're not going to let this ride. We're tired. We're sick and we're tired and we're tired and we're sick. Um, but there was so much humor in that. And since then, we have seen people with hilarious memes. We've seen 
luminaries speak out saying they support uh, the group of people who protected the security guard. We've seen people donate uh, to a fund to help get people out of jail and help other people get attorneys because people were arrested in the incident. But have we heard of someone giving a concert? Stephanie Mills. Stephanie Mills, the legendary singer, songwriter, award-winning artist, is giving a concert for the folks in Montgomery, Alabama, to promote peace and love and to say, I see you and I'm glad that you did not let that black man take a beating without helping him. And today, on Naked, she is our guest. Stephanie Mills has been in the industry for 50 plus years, discovered extremely young, performed at the Apollo when she was 11 years old, but arguably her most notable and in my mind iconic role was when she was cast at 17 years old in the Broadway play The Wiz as Dorothy. The Wizard of Oz is considered a classic. Judy Garland, who played Dorothy, is considered one of the best to ever do it in this business, in this Hollywood business. And so when the culture decided to reinvent The Wizard of Oz and turn it to The Wiz and put it on Broadway, she was casted as Dorothy. Very similar to Halle Bailey being cast as The Little Mermaid. It's the first time that you can really see, in recent memory, at least in my mind, a young brown girl being told that she is the same as everyone else. You don't just get the black role. You get to play Dorothy. You're Dorothy. And for me, and for anyone who really understands what it feels like to be set aside or treated differently because you are black or because you are marginalized, this was an equalizing moment. We see you as Judy Garland and you're going to sing this role. You're going to play this role and you're going to sing with all of your heart and you're going to be amazing. Stephanie Mills is the Dorothy. You guys watched The Wiz, I'm sure, and Diana Ross played The Wiz phenomenally. Coincidentally, Stephanie Mills says that she always looked up to Diana Ross and had no beef with Diana Ross getting the movie role. She was meant to play the Broadway role, so she didn't mind that Diana Ross got the movie role. But today on today's podcast, that was redundant, but you know what I mean. On the podcast today, she talks about being the first, which is so difficult to do, and she's done it with so much grace and elegance. She talks about dating Michael Jackson. Wow. Just wow. Think about that for a moment. She talks about how she loved Diana Ross and was so happy for her and, and killed all narratives that said that she she wanted to do the movie. She also talks about the hate that she received from so many at 17 years old when she was given the role of Dorothy. But more importantly, she talks about being an activist. She's layered, she's textured, she's unapologetic. And today, she gives us all of that in the most naked way. Pay close attention and please welcome Stephanie Mills to Naked. I, I just talked to my booker and he told me you were from Bed-Stuy. Oh, Is that yeah. true? Yes, <laughs> Brooklyn. Brooklyn, New York Avenue, Flatbush Avenue. Yeah, I'm a Bed-Stuy girl. But my mom was from the South, so she brought us up from New York and from from Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, so Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, is that roots for you? And bed is roots. I, okay. That's roots for me, but I was born in, in New York. Yeah. I, I'm asking you a question because not only am I curious, but I am at a late in life very infatuated with Brooklyn specifically. Um, and I have been going back and forth from L.A. to Brooklyn. I'm born and raised in L.A. And so I want you, if you can tell me what was childhood like for you growing up in Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn and, and what you know of it in terms of how it made you and formulated who you are today. Oh, my God. Uh, I was baptized at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Brooklyn uh, at the age of seven. I loved growing up. I went to uh, public school, PS 269. 
And uh, my brothers and my sisters went to Erasmus Hall. We lived on New York. We lived all over Brooklyn. But I loved going to the, the like Jewish bakeries after school. I would stop at the Jewish bakery every day and get me a, a, a chocolate uh, pastry. I love the chocolate pastries. And then I would walk to my mother had a, a salon on uh, Utica Avenue. So I would walk to her salon and stay there with her until she finished working. And then we would go home. But I loved Brooklyn was everything. You know, I had friends that would come down from the Bronx and we would all get together and go to Central Park. So it was fun. I, and I still keep in touch with my girlfriends from back back in the day. There is something about Brooklyn for me, even today, that feels very familial. Like it feels like family. It's nothing yes. like walking down the street and, and just seeing us. I, I, I was in bed specifically for a street fair a couple of weeks ago and, and the girls were double dutching and I was like, OK, let me jump in. You know, it's very family. Do you think that has a lot to do with your sound and how you have incorporated who you are today? Absolutely. My mother was an activist before she even knew what that meant. She brought us up very much to love ourselves, to love our community, love people in general, but in particular to love ourselves. And you're right. I used to jump double dutch. And I was so funny that I would, I, I, when my sisters and them would play, they'd make me the rag doll because there's a rag doll that just gets to jump when everybody else is tired. But then when I had my friends, I would make them <laughs> the rag doll so I could jump all the time. But this, oh, and playing handball in the in the park. It's it's Brooklyn just has a whole aura about it, you know. And I'm glad I grew up in Bedford Stuyvesant, and I'm glad I had that experience. You tell me that you well, after school you would go get um, a pastry, which I think is beautiful from the Jewish bakery, which is probably still somebody's life right now. That's somebody's rite of passage, if you will. And you, <laughs> in your mom's salon, what did your mom do? Hair? Did she do nails? What did she do? And what she were did, you doing? <laughs> she did. She did uh, hair, and it was actually my mom and my brother's uh, shop. My brother Joey, and when my brother went to the service, my mother took it over, and they owned the business. But I would just go and, and I had so much hair at that time that my, I wouldn't let my mother comb it. So I started getting uh, perms very early so oh, wow. that my mother could comb my hair because I was tender headed. But uh, she would give me perms and braid my hair into little plaits and I'd go to school. But I didn't do much. I did my homework there. And, and when it was time for me to get my hair done, of course, I was there all the time. But uh, she was my mother. I really miss her. She passed away in 2003. And I, uh, I really miss her. But uh, now I've turned into the mother that she was with my son. I say things that my mom would say, like, you know, in our family, when your mother would call you, you dare not say what? Mm -mm. You just go. <laughs> you dare not say, because I used to say, what? And she'd say, don't you say what to me? You just mm -hmm. come when I call you. Mm -hmm. So it's things like that I really remember. And I say that to my son now. When did you discover um, your voice, your talent, your acting ability? I discovered it very young. I could actually sing songs before I could actually talk. Because my sister and them used to watch The Three Musketeers. And they used to like the songs and stuff and songs that come on the radio. They would teach, teach it to me. And I was baptized at seven at Cornerstone Baptist Church. And I started singing then. And my first Broadway show, I was 11, 11, uh, 11 or 12, but I had already uh, performed at the Apollo Theater, you know, and won mm. the amateur night for six mm. weeks in a row. <laughs> Can you tell me about that experience? I grew up watching Apollo and, and amateur night was always something. We use it in today's terms. Like if I'm at work and I'm dealing with somebody, I'm like, it's amateur night at the Apollo theater right now. <laughs> and they make me mad. I'm all like, I, why must I deal? But then there were always these people that just stood out. It was the black star search, if you will. Oh, tell me absolutely. About that experience for you. It was wonderful. I mean, I was there for six weeks in a row. So I got a chance to see Roberta Flack, the Isley Brothers, James Brown, King Curtis, all those people. And then later I got a professional booking with the Isley Brothers. But it was wonderful. They make you sit downstairs like in a little basement. And when it's your time to come up, you come up and you rub the, 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 the rock. And um, 
you go and you sing your song. And then later for me to go there and sell out seven shows was just very emotional for me. But I, I loved, I loved my experience going through what I did in, in, in the early part of my career because it helped me and it molded me to who I am today. How old were you uh, when you went to the Apollo? Because I'd have to imagine that has to be scary because it is historic. It's very scary. It, I had to be like 11 or 12. I was around 11 or 12. And, but I wasn't afraid. I was always singing because I was singing in church even before that. So I wasn't afraid to sing. And I sang Who's Loving You and For Once in My Life mm. by Stevie Wonder and Who's Loving You by the Jackson Five. But I wasn't afraid because, you know, my mother listened to James. She loved James Brown and the Isley Brothers and Roberta Flack. So to see all those people was was really quite nice. And they were very nice. They were very nice to me. Do you, because I, I think of of those songs, wow, those songs are, are very hard to sing. And if you weren't afraid what did you feel when you were on the stage at 11 years old at the Apollo? What did you feel? I felt love because the audience really liked my singing. And I felt, I just felt love. I felt like this is what I do. I was singing in church and I belonged to a big church. So I was used to singing in front of people. And when I went out there and they loved my song, it just made me want to give them more. But I felt loved and appreciated. Wow, that's special. That's really special. And at that moment, did you know that you would go on to have a very successful career? Or no. were you singing just to sing? I was singing just to sing. I didn't know that I would have a successful career. It wasn't even in my head. I was just singing to sing because I love to sing as I do now. I love uh, doing my shows and being on the road. I really really do. I just love to sing. So you leave the Apollo after six successful runs because any you if you get one good callback, you're great, right? So you have six yes. runs. Um, and and people are like, this Stephanie is something special, right? You People are starting to notice you. What do yes. you do with that momentum at 11 years old? I listen to my parents and my sisters. You know, I... I because they managed my career for a very long time. So I just listened to them and, and did what they uh, told me to do. You know, we then I went up for an audition for Maggie Flynn, a Broadway show that ran on Broadway for about nine months with the Shirley Jones and the late Jack Cassidy. And Irene Cara and uh, a lot of people that are now, that went on to become famous, was in that play. It was nine children, orphanage children. And you just, we just kept going. Like I kept auditioning for different things. And, and the only process of the business that I didn't like, I didn't like auditioning because mm. I found the people to be cold and, and cruel at times. So I didn't, I, I didn't like that. In fact, when they wanted me to come and audition for The Wiz, I did not want to go. I did not want to go because I had gone up for so many different things and didn't get it. So I didn't think that I would get the role as Dorothy, but my mom my mom made me go and she went with me and I'm, I'm glad I went. So you, you led me to what I was building up to. So let's just go there. The, the 50th anniversary quickly approaching and it's amazing. And it is it is one of these moments that you you are a luminary and it, tra it, it, it transcends for so many people. And it means so much, especially for the culture. You go to this audition that you don't want to do. Walk me through the process. And your mom's like, I'm coming with you and we're going to do it. Oftentimes, I, we feel like we got it. Tell me right. how you felt. I never felt like I had anything when I auditioned because I'm mm. terrible at auditioning. What <laughs> did I sing? I sang Danny Boy. And my hair was like this. It was uh, puffy and I uh, had on little slacks. I remember it like it was yesterday. And Ken Harper was in the audience and Vicky, who was the uh, casting agent at that time, was there. And he had me to sing and I sang. And then they called me back a second time and I went. And then the third time I was asked to come to uh, Jeffrey Holder, Jeffrey Holder's house, who was doing the costumes at that time. And I met with Jeffrey Holder and, and Gilbert Moses and uh, Ken Harper, who was the producer. And Gilbert was the first director of The Wiz. And then I, but I, all that time when I was going back, I didn't think 
of it like, oh, this is a, a big deal. I'm doing it. Because I would watch The Wizard of Oz every year on television, but never did I have in my wildest dreams that I would ever play Dorothy. Mm-hmm. I never even thought of it. So once I got the role, I was really, really, really excited. When I was like 16. It's an iconic moment for every brown girl to play a role that should be or traditionally given to a white young girl. A white, yes. And and I think of like The Little Mermaid and the controversy that surrounded it when, when Hallie got it. And I thought to myself, how sad. But you were doing this years, generations before. I got hate mail. Uh, They did not like me. Uh, My reviews were horrible. Mm. Uh, And it wasn't until my mom, who belonged to Cornerstone Baptist Church, who was a huge church, and Ken Harper, the producer's mother, belonged to a huge church, would bring busloads of people from the church. And then once we did our commercial, then the show kicked in. But it was rough there for a minute because we were supposed to open in December and we didn't open until January 5th. 1975. You had hate mail before or during the process? During the process. Once we opened on Broadway, we I got hate mail. Yeah. What did it say? Say that I was ugly and my breast was too big and Judy Garland should get out of her grave and slap me. And But I didn't let it bother me. You know, I mm. never, I don't know, I guess I'm just built that way, but I've never let the negativity of the business affect me. I've always been able to just keep going no matter what anybody thought or what they said. I really didn't care. I would just keep going on my path and stay in focus on what I wanted to do. In the moment, did you realize how historic that was? You know what's so funny? I didn't realize how, how historic it was until I did the revival of it like a couple of years later when I was like 25. And then I realized, wow, we really did something because the Wiz won seven Tonys. And uh, it was just amazing. The whole process, Felicia Rashad was in the chorus and uh, Andre DeShields and Ted Ross, Mabel King, and Stu Gillum, who was a, a famous uh, comedian and actor at that time, was the very first scarecrow. And when you look back on it and what you were able to accomplish, does it feel as if it was meant for you? It was set aside for you. You were chosen and calling for that role. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that God just placed me in, in that place. And I live my life by keeping my hands in God's unchanging hands. Amen. And I think that's what has kept me, because this business is rough. It's not easy. And a lot of my peers are not here anymore. So you really have to uh, stay focused and, and sort of stay out of the way. Do, do your job and then just get out of the way. Y'all, this edition of Naked is juicy. This is juicy. We getting T, 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 and we're also being activated because she is an activist. More with Stephanie Mills when we pay the bills. Oh my God, I'm a rapper. More with Stephanie Mills as we pay the bills. Back in a moment. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champion and carry champion. A champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment. Connected with. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All 
these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome back uh, to this edition of Naked. I'm excited. Can you hear it in my voice? I hope that you are listening and are paying close attention because we have a legend and she has so many stories and she's dropping names like she's talking about Tom, Jerry, Lewis and Frank. Stevie Wonder, Luther Vandross, dating Michael Jackson, hanging out and meeting Diana Ross, hanging out with Suzanne DePass. Like, this is legendary. She's mentioning names. These are Hall of Fame names, right? The equivalent of sports. I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. When, and I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, one of the people that you admired or admire was Diana Ross. Yes. And uh, what a full circle moment. Now, was it yes. before or after she played The Wiz? Or was it that you were like, I love her. This is somebody that I can look up to. I Help me with the I, I loved Diana Ross from the very beginning. Diana Ross and the Jackson 5 and all the Motown people, Gladys Knight. So when I got a chance to meet her and she would come to the show, and then when I signed with Motown and I would go to her shows at Caesars Palace, I was just like, oh, my God, I want to be Diana Ross. And even when she did the movie, I visited the set. I wasn't like, I mean, people tried to make it like I was upset or anything. I wasn't. I really, I really, I wasn't. Because I loved her. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Oftentimes they make us feel, especially I'm sure when you were coming up, there can only be one. And still in your business, music industry, there can only be one who does this well. When they tried to create that narrative, you did not accept it. Why is that? 
because I love Diana Ross. I loved her talent. And maybe that was for her. Maybe the movie wasn't for me. The play was for me. It would let me set it up and then whoever comes after that. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm still here. She's still here. Not, not, we didn't compete. You know, she was older than me at the time. And now there's a young girl that's coming and she's younger than me. So it, it's a circle that we have. And I'm such a supporter of Black people and of Black women. I've, I choose to take the higher road than the low road. I, I, I support that. And, and it's hard to do that when you have so many outside voices that try to make you feel a certain way. But The Wiz is such an iconic film. The play is so essential to every brown girl. And it's almost like we must be able to watch this and see this to understand that we belong in these spaces. Um, yes. And when you know you belong, what does that feel like for you? For it's powerful. A, yeah. Tell me about that because it's you powerful. It's powerful. have it. <laughs> <laughs> it's powerful. It's like, hey, I'm here and there's nothing you can do about it. That's, it's a powerful feeling. But I didn't start to feel that power until later, mm. till I got older. Mm. You know, like right now I'm in the thralls of, hey, you know, I'm like and I'm 66. So I'm like, hey, you know. But it's powerful. It's powerful. And that's what I really want Black women to know and Black girls to know now while they're young, that you are so powerful. Mm. And you where you're supposed to be. You belong there. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't. Because they so quickly want to tell us we don't belong. And we do. You don't lead with fear. You lead yeah. with, and it's such a um, refreshing approach and an authentic because it's not common. When you talk about The Wiz, I have to ask, because I'm sure most ask, uh, especially in the film, and you've mentioned the Jackson 5, you, you, you dated the greatest entertainer of all time, arguably. Um, yes. You had an experience that, once again, I mean, you've had experiences that are one of one. Um, what was it like to know him, Michael Jackson? It was... He was just a dude, you know, when you when he was away from all of that, he was just Michael and he was loving. He was kind, very determined. He knew what he wanted to do. And uh, we spent a lot of time together. But when it started to shift and he went a different way, I, I didn't want to go that way. I didn't want to go that way. But um it was magical, I could say. It was really because he was such a, he was really a genius and a very kind, kind human being. I never heard Michael say anything bad about anyone. Never a crossword. Never. That term genius, can we focus on that for a moment? Because I, I agree, and we don't get to see very many geniuses in different disciplines. What, or how do you describe him as a genius? What did you see that made you feel he was that? The sensitivity and the rhythm, the energy that he was on, his rhythm was different from anybody else's. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, he was very meticulous about everything, his writing, doing the was. He was so driven and but not driven in a way where, oh, I got to do this. I got to. But it was just very soft and, and peaceful, not to hurt anybody else. But he just wanted to do what he did and and to be able to do that is was just brilliant to me to watch him and to watch him at home and 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 to watch him write it was it was brilliant and special because you can say you saw it not many of us can say that you um then have went on to have your, such a successful career um and when you step into the light as your own outside of Dorothy outside of everything else, you are now singing and you are uh, having uh, concerts and tours. How are you as an artist? How do you want people to perceive you as an artist? A loving artist, an artist that, that understands, that stands up for her people, mm -hmm. love her people and love everyone else, but love 
for people that and 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 an artist that's not afraid to be black. Mm. So, <laughs> you're so funny. let's talk about that because <laughs> we are black. This is what we yes. do, and this is what we do. There are so many times when we get to a level of success that we feel like we have to compromise our blackness or quiet that side of us, that side of us. When did you decide? Because you said your mom was always an activist. So you had it in you. When did you say, yeah, I can't quiet that part because that's who I am? When I was in my 30s, because I realized that you have to know when to go home from the party. Mm. What does that mean? That means when you're at a party and things are starting to get crazy, the people are starting to do things that you don't like and you don't understand, you need to leave. And a lot of artists don't realize that they need to leave and they also need to be disciplined. I am so glad that I came from the theater and I was around that Motown energy and machine that I knew what to do, how to do an interview, how to say certain things, how to keep your life private. That's all lost today. Mm-hmm. You know, when we went on tour, it was me and Luther and Nick and Val, Ashford and Simpson. Uh, all of us was on the Bud Fest. We never argued about who got time and who didn't get time, who went last and who didn't. It was a love fest. I don't mm-hmm. see that a lot today. So I try to walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, I a lot of people say, oh, you sound militant and you sound just because I love being black, just because I, I came from my mother and I, I respect what she, that she gave birth to me and my father. No, you know, it doesn't mean that you're racist or that you're prejudiced because you love who you are. Mm-hmm. We have been, a, been through a lot, this country, within the last three years. And yes. In 2020, when the pandemic hit and we were all at home and we were forced as a, an entire world globally to watch the injustice that happens to us as as black folks when we had to sit and see what happened to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the list goes on because we've been doing it but everyone had to watch it and Mm. there was this collective thought of how can I help and here we are fast forward just you know just two and a half years later and I feel like all of the work all of the lip service has been reversed when you have this platform, how do you address it, if at all? Oh, I address it. If you go to my page, I address everything. Like I'm going to uh, Alabama and doing a free concert, uh, August 31st. I don't condone violence, but I was very happy that our people stepped up and didn't allow them to beat that man to death. We can no longer stand and videotape somebody being choked today, somebody being beaten to death. We just gonna have to take one for the team. There's no way, you know, I, I couldn't have stood there and watched them kill George Floyd. I couldn't have. They probably would have shot me or something or whatever. But I could not have stood there and him begging and pleading for his mother and nobody tried to push those policemen off. You know what I'm saying? It, we can no longer, we can't afford to do that because we see that they will turn everything back. The humanity of it all. If you don't think we're human, if you can't see our humanness, you can't treat us as if we're humans. No, you can't. You cannot. I I know that those who watched, as we watched them testify, f- have tremendous trauma and grief and they feel so much guilt. Um, and and they wish, especially the black folks who watched, wish they, they would have done something. So your sentiment isn't off. I think that you're right in saying that you can't watch another human being, especially not another black man being beat um, and do no. nothing about it. And no, you can't. Fair sentiment. I read that you were going to Alabama to give a free concert. And the concert is to say what? It is to say, it's I'm, just I'm proud of you. I'm pro- it's, the concert is to say, I'm proud of you. I love you. Let's have peace. Let's spread love. Let's put because that's what they did to me. That was love to help that man, you know, because they all jumped on him. That was love. So to keep that up, to spread that. And we have to I think that we do have to send a message that you we're just not going to tolerate you jumping on us and killing us. We have to send a signal like he threw up his hat. Like, I I just said that when you said that, that was was like, it's like, 
here we come. SOS. SOS. Come <laughs> my ship. Because yep, we all right. here. We're yeah. all here. Or we're here. It's all about us. Right. Yeah. And so that's what it's It's like, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm coming there to be with you. And I'm going there and I want to meet the people. I want to go where it happened. I want to do all of that because I am there. I am. I'm the kind of sister that's like, I'm down with you. We're going down. I'm down with you. Do you think that you're one of a few that are so bold about how proud you are uh, to represent the culture and unapologetic in your blackness? Or do yes. you? You do. Why do you feel I that do. way? I, well, because I'm really, I say what I want to say. <laughs> And I and I really don't have any fear. The only fear I only fear God. I don't Amen. fear, you know, people. I know there are powerful people, but I don't believe that there's anybody more powerful than God. Amen. I don't. I don't. And I just feel like, when are we going to stand up and say enough is enough? We're human, just like you are. And I love people. I am not. I'm prejudiced, but I'm not racist. Because mm-hmm. a racist is you hate a person because of the color of their skin. I'm prejudiced against hate. I'm prejudiced against you beating up on my brother, beating up on my sister, killing my people. I'm prejudiced against that. But I'm not racist. I, I, it's not that I hate white people or I hate spe- I love everybody, but I do not want you to beat on us. I, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. So I'm going to stand with my own. What is the cost of speaking out? Well, it hasn't cost me anything. I mean, I I haven't lost anything. I, I um, And I'm not uh, cool with it. I'm not insensitive with it. But I do, I love being black. And I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. I love being a black woman. I love everything about it. And every other woman wants to be and have what we have. Our mm-hmm. thick lips, our thick behind, our thick this. They pay a lot <laughs> of money to look like us. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. must be doing something right. Mm-hmm. And we should own it. With and we pride. should own it. And and, and I do. Yes. Amen. Amen. I do. Um, while we at church. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I, I talk to you and as you say on your page, I agree. I, I just wanted to make it very clear. I will tell you um, there is a generation that may not, uh, know how invaluable you are. So I appreciate you for doing this this interview and, and being unapologetic. But there is a true sense of pride um, and 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 oneness that I find that we're losing with certain generations. I don't know if it's yes. because yes. we want money or if we want to be popular or if we want to be influencers. But there is this fear that is installed in in us. And I don't know where that comes from because I, I had it, you know, when I was at ESPN, I say this often, I, I knew I didn't have my voice. I couldn't find my voice because I felt very afraid of what I might lose. And what, and when I said, what's the cost? That's what I, that's what I feel everyone is worried about, the cost. Um, yes. And it, it comes to everybody differently. Everyone doesn't have to, to, in my opinion, be so unapologetic and be free with their words. It's just, it's different for everyone. But is there a moment or is or how did your mother raise you? Because this is this is constitutional. It is it is in your spirit and you have it. Was your mother always this way? Was your father this way? My mother was always this way. My mother, when we would be in the car driving when I was an older girl, and if she saw policemen like harassing or talking to a black person and there were a couple of cars, she would make my father stop. And she would get out of the car and say, What's going on here? Why do you have them against the, the, I remember that as a little girl. Why do you have wow. them against the fence? What's going on? And she wanted to know what, why? And she would stay there until it was spent. We'd stay there and I'd sit in the car. We'd stay there until they kind of did what they were going to do. And then they either let the person go or arrest him. But my mother was very concerned about the people in our neighborhood. And it's, it's in me. And I, I just can't, she made me proud to be who I am, to be, mm-hmm. A little black girl going to school, singing in the in the Glee Club. I was a brownie. I sold uh, uh, chocolate chip cookies and stuff, even though I ate mine and my mother would have to <laughs> buy them. Hey, 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 pay the money because I would be like, well, these cookies are good. You know? uh-huh, uh-huh. But uh, 
it's, that's the way she brought me. And I, and I, and I have really turned in to my mother. I mm-hmm. really, all the things that the wisdom that she gave me has helped me maintain and, and, and stayed alive in this business, which is very hard to do. It's impossible to do because this business, as all business will, it will eat you up and spit you out and you lose your identity and you forget your foundation. And that's where all the problems begin. You yes. reference your mother. Your son wrote a book, from my understanding, about you, correct? Yes. He wrote a book about his adventures. It's the, called The Adventures of Faraje. And uh, my son functions at a very high level. He's an A student. And he's now finishing up his, his second book, which is called The Red Virus. And uh, he's just funny. He's really funny. And I was so glad I was able to have a baby. And my mom saw him and my dad saw him because they just loved Farad when he came up. But that is my soul. That is that is why I still do everything is for him. Does he uh, does he reference or describe you as you describe your mother? Do you see the similarities that he can that he has that he has written down or documented? He has all kinds of names for me that he calls me, <laughs> but he loves, he calls me Snookums and he loves me. He kisses me every day and he tells me what a great mom I am and Aww. everything. So he, yes, I get that saying. He loves me. It, it, there's no love like a child because I was just talking about it with Karina. My, my, I call her my sister because we're so close. And I was like, you know, we will just do anything for our children. Mm-hmm. I would walk fire for my child absolutely i just would it's instinctive you can't help it yeah yeah it's like when you see a a mama bear protecting her cubs like or a lion protecting her babies like it's just instinctive it's what we do you can't it's what we do and you can't help it it's what we do we do every champion and carry champions to be a champion a champion and carry champion and carry champion a champion and carry champion and carry champion greatest greatest in sports and entertainment connected with If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You um, are going on tour. Um, okay. and I think it was a 25th. I think you started in Detroit, maybe? Am I accurate? No, I'm, if actually, I'm in Harlem doing the New York, uh, New York Rise Up. And then I go to Detroit. But I've been on the road all these years. I've been, you know, working all this time. Yeah. And and I don't know if there was a joke. I like I said, um, I just spoke with someone who interviewed you. He said that you guys were kind of jo- you were joking about maybe thinking of bringing Babyface on after the Anita Baker debacle. Was that where he said was that true? Were you bringing asking him to have? <laughs> was he being funny? I don't know. He but told no, me to ask no. you about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I you know at our age we're sixties. We're in our sixties. Whatever we've been in this with, we shouldn't be fighting with each other. That's that's what story. I think. That's you know, I love, I love Anita and I love Babyface, but I did say, well, Babyface, you can come on the road with me. Yeah. I, did, <laughs> I did say it. I, I did say it. I love it. Because remember the yeah. love fest. We just had a love fest. You had Astrid and Simpson, remember? And yes. you said it was yes. you. Uh, yes. I think you said Luther. Lo- yeah, Luther and uh, Gladys. There was a lot of us on that show back in the wow. day. Wow, and wow, we, wow. it was just a love fest. Stevie Wonder. You know, you're, then you you're talking about legends. I couldn't even imagine what that would look like today. You talk, oh legendary, yeah. legendary yes. is what you're telling me right now. Legendary. Yes. Yes. We had a great time, though. What was the Motown experience like? You said to me briefly that it taught you a lot of um, things in terms of how to conduct yourself as a, as an artist with Motown and, and Motown produced, I mean, had some of the greatest of, I mean, literally how I was raised cleaning up the house, what I listened to. If there was no Motown, I wouldn't be able to describe what it feels like to sweep the carpet on a Saturday. So I tell me about what that experience was like to be uh, in that, in that, in that group of people that were considered the best of the best, those people who spoke to our hearts and our spirits as a culture and the world was in, 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 truly copying it the beatles bit the sound everybody's biting the sound that was already created that motel oh yes sound. yes we created everything it was wonderful suzanne de paz mm-hmm. uh used to take me to vegas i used to go to vegas with her because i loved suzanne and i wanted to be around her so she would i would be like following her all around and we would go to the diana ross shows and and the jackson she knew i was madly in love with michael and wanted to be near him so she made sure I was close to the Jackson 5, but they taught you how to be poised. They taught you how to do an interview, what to say, what not to say. And I'm so glad I went through that. And then when I lived in California, I took an etiquette class because mm-hmm. I just wanted to know. I'm very, uh, like if I see something on television I want or to make myself better, I will try that. I will say, well, maybe I should try that or try this. So I'm, I'm, I'm like that. I That's shop beautiful. all the time and, and I, and I see things. Uh, now shopping is my vice. Shopping, baby. That's <laughs> same, same, same. Too much of, I didn't know, I didn't know I said this. 
I bought another one of this. I didn't know I had it. <laughs> oh yes, I can relate. Um, I, I I'm curious. Are there any other projects that you want to talk about before I jump? I want to make sure that I hit everything, and I didn't want to take up too much of your time. You have been more than generous, more than oh, generous. Thank you. I've enjoyed myself. No, um, I'm working on some music stuff, but I I can't talk about that now. But uh, no, just my shows that are coming up. I'm coming back to uh, uh, NJ Pack in January, but I'm booked until December. So I'm 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 working and I'm happy. And so we can check. We can go online and and see your dates and find you and and support you in every way. And maybe and maybe you never know. Maybe Babyface might pop up. We don't know. We'll. See. <laughs> maybe that would be that would be a nice tour to do. Babyface and I. Yes. Um, you are uh, you are legendary and you are gracious and those uh, two things are a beautiful combination and rare and I thank you so much for just taking the time to talk to me and being so pleasant um, it's refreshing because you never know what you're going to get and I was pleased thank you so much you're welcome I thank you for wanting to uh, I'm honored that you wanted to talk to me so thank you you be safe out here I don't will. worry about don't worry about what people say or what they say Amen. I received that. You um you spoke to my heart today and a lot of brown girls. Thank you very much. We need we need to see more of you, unapologetic and proud to be who you are. Um we Thank need you. More of that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I just have to say, wow. Wow, 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 wow. Not only did she say she dated Michael Jackson, not only was she the very first Dorothy that was black, not only did she admire one Diana Ross and want to hang out with her. She was a Motown artist that got to sit and go on tour with so many people, the likes of like a Luther and Luther Vandross. She hung out with Luther Vandross. May he rest in peace. She talked about Stevie Wonder being on tour with her. Uh, Gladys Knight, Astrid and Simpson. When I tell you these are legends, these are people who create the music that you listen to today in some form or fashion. And she talks about it so very casually. This girl from Brooklyn, who like to walk home from school every day and stop at the Jewish bakery and get a get a chocolate pastry. This girl who went to her mom's shop, this little girl, this little brown girl who went to her mom's shop to get her hair done in two little plaits. This little girl at 11 years old who went to the legendary Apollo Theater and won six times in a row. And she did not want to audition for The Wiz, but she went with her mom because she thought auditioning was too cold and cruel, but she did it anyway. She is a legend. And as she sits in all her glory, at 66 years old, she is still performing. She seems extremely content and happy with her career. But more importantly, she speaks up for the culture. She's given a free concert for the folks in Montgomery, Alabama, because she loved what those folks did. She said she's not racist. She might be prejudiced against hate, but she's not racist. And she's saying, I'm supporting those who came to the rescue of a black man who needed help. Because we as a culture can no longer sit by and watch and record while we're being attacked. All of that, all of that, I, I, all of that I agree with. There was nothing wrong with what she said. In essence, she's saying protect humanity. In essence, she's saying she's unapologetically black. All the while being one of one, being the first in so many ways. And I think that's special. I hope you took some lessons away from this. Share this podcast with friends, but more importantly, go check her out. She's on tour. I am stephaniemills.com. That is the website. I am stephaniemills.com. Look for a location near you. By the time this podcast pops out, you will be able to see her perhaps if you are in Alabama or in New York or in Detroit or many of the places that she plans to perform at still has a voice, still has something special to share with us. And I'm so glad that she was able to do it on this edition of Naked. I appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you all for the support. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.